Hi, this is Lindsey Miller, and you're listening to the Arkansas Times Weekend Review Podcast for Friday, May the 15th. On this week's podcast, we're going to talk about the latest in coronavirus, including the state's response. Um, we'll also talk about increased pressure on the Little Rock Police Chief and maybe a few other odds and ends. I'm joined, as usual, by Max Brantley. Afternoon. So you you had uh, this is a big week for you aside from what's happening in the world. You got a new dog. I got a puppy, a new French bulldog puppy. He's not housebroken, but we figured this was a good week to housebreak a dog when we're here to impose some eternal vigilance. Needless to say, dogs have a way of defeating the the best laid plans on that. But anyway, she's pretty cute and got a sweet temperament, and so we're we're happy. To, and she's funny, so we're happy to have her around. All right. So what's the dog's name? Well, my wife named her formerly La Imperatrice, which is uh, French for the Empress, but uh, we're, she's an imp, I-M-P, which is kind of, that's kind of appropriate. She's fair. She's fairly impish. She's tearing everything up in the house. So, <laughs> Well, that's great. Well, uh, so the, the latest... On the coronavirus is, uh, of course, our, our numbers keep growing. The governor says that's um, all about an increase in testing, and that's a good thing. And he's not concerned, and uh, the state continues to move toward opening uh, back up uh, pre-COVID. Uh, no, I, I thought the governor's, the governor's tone today was pretty interesting. He said, retail in Arkansas is open Monday. Well, retail in Arkansas never closed. I mean, by official order, some people closed because people weren't shopping and what have you. But, you know, number one, we now know that that Trump shelved the guidelines the CDC wanted to put out about reopening because they were stiffer. And then they developed these lesser guidelines. Well, Arkansas doesn't even meet those, really. We're still having a rising number of cases on a seven-day rolling average, even not counting the prisons. But it's, it's also true that you know, we have a relatively low number of deaths, a, uh, a relatively no, low number of, of uh, positive tests uh, on, on the testing that is being done. You know, maybe by nature of the fact that we don't have super dense metropolitan areas and we have acres and acres of pine trees that we will have a lower rate, but that doesn't mean we're immune. And of course, we have our hot spots and Nursing homes have been terrible and prisons have been terrible and Pulaski County is not so great. And so we, you know, we just don't know, but I mean, the state parks are now back in business and they're pointing toward reopening school in the fall and all the colleges are saying, by God, we're going to have class in the fall. And there are colleges in other states that are not saying that by the way. And, and, you know, I get, I, get, I don't want to predict that Donald Trump said we'll have a vaccine by the end of the year, but vaccine or no, we're open for business. Well, you know, it may be that the death rate is lower than what the early predictions were. Uh, so far, the numbers seem to trend in that direction. But the fact that this has spawned the right wing cry that, well, it's an acceptable death rate. You know, I'm just not ready to say there's an acceptable death rate, particularly since I happen to be in the in the most dangerous position as an old fat man with a with a heart problem. So so excuse me if I'm not ready to buy the acceptable death rate argument for going returning to business as usual. And that brings us back to the thing we've said several weeks, which is 
just because Arkansas is open for business doesn't mean I'm shopping. Yeah, uh, my my shopping is mostly coming from the Amazon man dropping boxes on my. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean that's that's the huge question, and um, there, there I don't know if you saw it, but there was a tweet last night by a woman who I'm not a fan of because she's a Walton paid anti-teachers union flunky and. And she put out a tweet on, on Twitter last night that said, oh, I'm so glad to be eating in a restaurant again. And it's so wonderful. And back to work, America, and all that kind of crap. And she said, mask up, America. And all of the people in the picture, indeed, were wearing face masks. But they were sitting butt to butt in a little restaurant booth, six of them side by side. And I presume when the food came, the masks were going to come down and they were going to be spewing aerosol droplets all over each other. I don't. And so, I mean, what's the point here? I mean, I'm not going to do that. Maybe she's fine. I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to predict they're all going to die for it. But there was this incredible story today out of uh, Calgary, Canada, where a little church after the coronavirus break emerged, they had... Uh, they had a little church meeting. They have a sanctuary big enough for 200. 41 people went. They all sat at least two meters, six feet apart. They all washed their hands before they went in. 24 to 41 got infected and two are now dead. Well, you know, maybe I'm just not going to go sit in a room with 40 people anytime soon. Yeah, and I think that's that will be the interesting thing to play out, to see play out is that, um, you know, yes, things are opening up. Will employers compel their employees to go back to work? Uh, will, you know, as childcare options become available, um, you know, how will that play in? You know, are, are employers being conscientious about, uh, you know, working parents? Uh, how are you supposed to go back to work if your kid didn't have anywhere to go? No, and we now layer on this, this, uh, this, uh, this respiratory thing that strikes children that may be related to the coronavirus. I mean, I, I don't know. I, <coughs> I, I do think the people that just say, I'm no wuss, I'm going to live, you know, I just think maybe I'm being overly cautious, but, but I think the people who are just making this into some partisan battleground, there was incredible piece of footage that some TV guy got in Long Island where they gathered a bunch of Trump people and they were just spewing invective at TV reporters for being bears of fake news. And they're all not mass shouting at each other and waving signs. And it's, that's, that's now that, you know, Trump has made this the emblem of, you know, of, of Trumpdom. And I, I just, Oh, I, I just think that's crazy. I mean, we, we, we may find it's not as bad as we feared, and, and Lord, I hope so, but it's still pretty bad. I mean, 85,000 dead in the U.S., that's, uh, that's not good, is it? <laughs> yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit more about how the state has handled it. There's, there's been uh, a lot of attention directed at Commerce Secretary Mike Preston, and uh, we're, we're going to have a fairly – a pretty big bombshell report this weekend that will uh, not put him in, in his department. Well, he's, the, he's the governor's fair haired boy. He gets bonuses out. There. He gets a quarter of a million dollars a year. So counting bonuses flies first class to China when we were still flying to China. And, you know, I, I've been thoroughly unimpressed this much. We know they made a total hash of handling the initial unemployment benefit claims. 
they said they were swamped. They were swamped, but other states did a better job of it than we did. It took weeks for that to get sorted out. Then we still don't have a working uh, pandemic unemployment assistance program for independent contractors and the self-employed. The head of the workforce services told, and, and the legislature, by the way, is, is getting a little put out with it. They're getting restless because all they're hearing is complaints from people. And, and we know that not a single check has been written out of that account, although the money is available, and 37 other states at least are paying. Even Mississippi started paying two weeks ago, and we can't get it done. And we also know that the first round of people who applied for this in the first week of May had to reapply again because there was some massive computer screw-up. So that's not so good. Then there's the, the holy bollocked up Ready for Business program, which was just a, a – has become a $147 million giveaway to private businesses, supposedly to help them with costs of restarting their business. And as one legislator and a Republican, I want to say, pointed out, he said, you know, this was kind of found money for these businesses, and they're happy to get it, and, and he's not saying they shouldn't get it, but it's not like the guy who lost his job and is totally fucked, you know, and, and doesn't have money to buy beans with. Businesses are in a slightly different situation. Well, that program... That was the one where they started with $15 million. They, they announced the program prematurely. They gave insider heads up to the big lobbyists in the state. And so the money was taken up in like 30 minutes time before most of the people in the state knew about it. Well, then they went back and said, oh, it's an emergency. we got to have more money because of the man so great. And they've now made $147 million available. Well, all of this two weeks of emergency to get this fund going, a legislator, several legislators pointed out, legislative council today, have you written a check for a single dollar yet? He said, no, we're still reviewing the applications. So, I mean, where was the fire? I mean, really. They, they, what they should have done was started on a fair, small basis and see how it went. But, but they didn't. And this is all under Commerce Secretary Mike Preston's direction. And, I mean, I got to tell you, I'm not very impressed. The other, the other big story of the week was uh, a, a Fort Smith venue that uh, that until the the sort of last hour held firm on plans to to hold a concert. Um, what was it to, supposed to be today on May fifteenth? Yeah, tonight. Yeah, Travis McCready, whoever he is, um, and went back and forth with the state, and finally after the alcohol beverage control division. Uh, took away its alcohol permit, they, the, the venue conceded, but <laughs> not without a pretty rollicking press conference. No, it was a crazy press conference. And what I love was how they say, we were going to have the safest concert venue in America, and they had about six people up there spitting in each other's face, not wearing masks. Got a nice social distancing, guys. But, you know, I never did figure out really what this was about. I did, did they maybe think they were going to get the kind of groundswell of support like the Dallas hairdresser got or, or what? I don't know. I mean, because this was the fight they were going to lose and that Asa had made clear they were going to lose that. I mean, they kind of had a certain logical argument, but not a legal one that, that, you know, it makes no sense to let a bunch of people go into church and gather together and sing music, but not let us, particularly if we're going to follow all these very strict guidelines. But, but they didn't really have a legal claim on that. And so I, I just never, I mean, they were going to lose. The state jerked their license. They were going to arrest them if need be. I mean, they, they were going to lose this thing. The one thing I was, their press conference was just kind of wild and crazy and nutty and all kind of speeches by promoters and club owners and, and 
promoter's daughter and and then they sang at the end of the show i guess but i do give the lawyer credit they fought the law and the law won that was <laughs> that was a pretty good quote i, I give him points for that uh, another pretty big story uh touches on something that we've we've talked about before and that's uh the state sort of downplaying um the the meaning of uh or the import of the breakouts in correctional facilities as being limited, uh, you know, as we've talked about, like those people still have to go to the hospital. We found this week a report from Eureka Springs of a uh, inmate who was paroled from Cummins and and went to <laughs> Eureka Springs against the terms of his parole. And we don't know that he in fact. <laughs> I was told he walked but, into a restaurant with a party of people, and his parole officer was sitting in there. A, ba- a bad moment for the parole system because he was supposed to be in quarantine. Wow. So anyway, I have it on fairly decent authority that that occurred. Well, here's the deal, and this is kind of a national situation. It's not just limited to prisons. There's kind of a open question about whether, I mean, I heard the governor's press conference yesterday say they test every single prison before they're released, but I thought they only tested symp- symptomatic people. I, I'm, I'm still not totally clear on that. But here's what we do know. Yeah, you can test negative one day and then positive tomorrow. And they're false negatives and false positives. And, you know, the science of this just is not absolutely precise. And so there's a particular risk when you release somebody out of a prison where we know the thing has run wild. They've had 900 people infected at Cummins and several deaths. So, But, you know, for the longest time, they just seem to have their head in the sand about this, that somehow prisons were these self-contained places and that they didn't have any contact with the outside world. And, and of course, and it's and the same thing I want to say for meatpacking plants. Same situation applies. You can you can take as many steps as you want and be as thorough as possible inside the, the facility, whether it's a prison or a meatpacking plant. But you can't control the behavior of the people that you send home. You can encourage them to do right encourage them to keep wearing a mask when they go home you can encourage all sorts of things but as st francis county has proved really really spectacularly badly that the federal prison there has clearly got to be the source for dozens of people infected in the community i mean i I can't say that with scientific certainty but with 300 people in the prison in this in this galloping expansion outside the prison you kind of got the odds kind of indicate that's where it started from. Yeah, I think the go- the governor strongly uh, suggested that in this news conference, and and actually, oh, I think they've they've and they're now reaching out there and they're doing more testing. And yeah, I mean because it's obvious. Now, how can how can they deny it? But they're just getting kind of weird about this. You know, the governor again today showed his petulant side. I thought he was questioned again about testing. And why Arkansas has been behind on testing? He said, "Well, we didn't have enough supplies to do testing." He said, "Well, Mississippi and Tennessee had enough supplies to do testing." He said, "Well, they were hot spots, and so they got more supplies than we did because we're not a hot spot." And then a woman started pressing about Crittenden County. She said, "Well, that's a hot spot. Why aren't they getting tested?" He said, "Oh no, that that's not a hot spot. Shelby County is much worse." Well, she was prepared. She said, "Well, you just had to be wrong about that." Crittenden County has 450 cases per 100,000. Shelby County has, in Memphis, has about 300. And at that point, the governor cut her off. He said, Nate Smith has answered that question. Next question. 
it was it was a it was a unpleasant moment. I thought, and I think it'll be largely overlooked except by my comment here. But you know, I, I I mean, Asa, as I've said before, has he's been incredibly accessible. He's tried to maintain an upbeat demeanor. He's tried to spice his programs with little anecdotes. He kind of follows a little format with information about this or that. And, uh, but he doesn't particularly like to be questioned too hard, I think. But he's not unusual in that regard, I suppose. Yeah. All right, well, let, let, let's move on and, and talk about Little Rock Police Chief Keith Humphrey, who uh, continues to be under fire. Well, you know, I, I, I'm not sure I'm ready to declare one way or another on this about the underlying stuff, but there are problems in the police department. You know, there are always problems in the police department. I don't think there's been a year in my lifetime that Little Rock Police Department wasn't riven by one division or another with different sectors of the department warring with each other. So there's that. But there are three lawsuits that have been filed against the chief, two alleging that he took retaliation against them for a, being in an opposing camp on how he handled the firing of Charlie Starks. One of them, a Freedom of Information Act case where people who he says who they say were investigated by him won't let them see their personnel files and would show bad stuff on him. Little Rock Fraternal Order of Police has been critical of him. The black police officers have lined up mostly behind him. He's a black chief, although there's some black officers, including one who was passed over for the job who were suing him. Uh, and then there's city directors. So Lance Hines and Kathy Peck have gone on record as being uh, not supportive of him. Ken Richardson says he's form I, I can think of at least two other directors who've spoken directly and critically to me off the record about the chief but he has the full support of the mayor because the mayor hired him a year ago and, and the mayor's going to back him and so i you know i i don't know and there are people who defend the chief who who say this is racism if it's not sexism by some women officers who don't like taking orders from a black man that the sour grapes from the two assistant chiefs who got passed over, that this is just the natural tension you get from a change agent in the police department doing things his way and doing things differently, and and that it, that these lawsuits are without merit. And, and I want to say, uh, Chris Burks argues otherwise, who's the main lawyer on the cases, I think they're kind of thin from a legal point of view. I mean, I don't think they've demonstrated specific job retaliation you're not entitled constitutionally to have your boss like you or to say nice things about you i mean if he gave him a negative evaluation but didn't demote him or give him a pay re reduction or anything that's is that retaliation i, I mean his job he might argue i think there's a a fair argument several have made that that he should explain why he has lingering credit card debt suits from oklahoma it's been suggested to me that this is related to a family member who had a financial need who was supposed to pay the money back, and that didn't happen as expected. And, and if that's the case, well, then say so. You know, I, I and and the mayor was asked about this really damaging uh, KRK report last night that in which the suggestion was that the chief has acted to help a a friend who happens to be a woman get an $80,000 a year job in the police department. I think his, his answer, if he were to give one was, is 
I wasn't the one that pushed her and there's a separate committee handling this hiring and this is unfair. And that may or may not be true, but really the most significant thing in that story was not that allegation was not the fact that the woman apparently made several inaccurate representations on her job application for an 80,000 a year job, including saying she was a vice president of Philander Smith when actually she's an assistant to a vice president of Philander Smith. But the, the KRK story was buttressed by a video taken from a patrol car of the chief's car in the neighborhood of this friend's house at 6 a.m. in the morning. Well, and I'm not going to go anywhere on what that means. And, and the chief said, oh, I was just checking on you or something. I don't know. Anyway, but the, the circumstances are not that, but that Little Rock, that Little Rock TV station comes into possession of a videotape made by a police officer of the chief in a, in a, in a situation that you could raise an eyebrow about that, that doesn't suggest the rank and file is on his side. Yeah, you know not a I mean? sign. <laughs> That's a pretty bad sign. And so the th I don't know how you get past it. And, and the mayor responded by through one of his new high paid PR spokespersons that, well, this is in litigation. This is a personnel matter. I can't comment. You know, the thing is just roiling. You got the fop saying stuff. You got the black police officers defending him. You got three lawsuits. You got two TV station reports in one night about problems in the department. I just think the chief and the mayor need to stand up and take some questions. And if and if they're good answers, then say it. And I don't. And I still do not get why they're not giving these officers their their personnel files. The chief says that's not his fault. That's the human human resources department, and that may be so. But why not give them the damn files? I, I just this secrecy just drives me crazy, and it, it it just inevitably makes it look like you're trying to hide something. It just does. Well, let's leave it at that and uh, move on to endorsements. What do you have this week? Oh, I was going to endorse my dog, but I've already done that. I've been watching this series. Uh, is it on HBO where Kate Blanchett plays uh, Phyllis Schlafly? It's uh, FX on Hulu, I think. Or yeah, maybe, maybe it's, it's on Hulu. I'm watching. I, you know, they all look the same to me, and I hate, I hate Phyllis Schlafly. Yes, but it's it's kind of gruesomely fascinating. And but some of the other representations of bit players: Gloria Steinem, Bella Abzug. People like Shirley Chisholm, I mean, and just reliving some of those times. And But the, the thing about it mostly I recommend it is for anybody who thinks battles have been won and are over. I mean, you began this at a point when Roe v. Wade had been won and we were one or two states away from having an equal rights amendment. And we don't have an equal rights amendment. And abortion is hanging on by thread in, in America. And that side... And Phyllis Schlafly was a key player, although it gives you an interesting dimension of what really motivated her. It was a whole lot. She, she capitalized on abortion and religious conservatives, but she had a much bigger agenda in mind. I mean, we're a foreign affair. She's a smart woman, no doubt about that. A bad person, in my view. So I didn't want to watch it because I detested her so much, but it's kind of it's kind of horror movie fascinating. So. Yeah, I, I, I watched the first uh, episode and I'm excited to watch the rest. Um, I'm going to endorse an article that 
uh, I guess came out last week in the New Yorker by Evan Osnos. It's uh, how Greenwich Republicans learned to love Trump. Did you happen to read that? No, I haven't read that yet. It's really good. I mean, it's good, bad. It's uh, Osnos grew up in Greenwich, and so he's got some insight. But you know, it, as you may know, it's it is where the it was super like richest city in America. Just yeah, yeah, it's where all the rich money managers uh, and CEOs in New York uh, decamp to avoid tax liability. It's My where, daughter once commuted to Greenwich to work in Greenwich for a money manager, but then lived in Manhattan, oddly. Oh, wow. She was a reverse commuter. It's Prescott Bush, the father of George H.W. Bush, was one of the, the city leaders for years. But anyway, it's all about how you know, that the sort of Prescott Bush, Rockefeller, Republican um, sensibility was dominant for years. And and then just sort of how the uh, plutocracy took hold and, um, you know, things started to change and how quick uh, folks in Greenwich were to embrace Trump out of self-interest. But it's it, an old story. No creed, but greed. Yeah, but it, it's just, does it include anything about how maybe that they still look down their nose at him as being an oaf and a and a and a fool, but they'll take him because what they get from him. Yeah, yeah, it, it gets it gets into that. Well, good. There's at least that was the way the Bush people used to be about the religious writers. You know, they had no use for them except as useful tools. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's worth reading. There's also a, a good uh, short story in that issue. By Catherine Dunn, uh, the late novelist, um, who also wrote for uh, an alt weekly. She had a column for Willamette Week, wrote, writing about boxing. I think she wrote Freak Love, which is a great, uh, really dark, fairly nasty novel uh, about circus freaks. Um, but this is a posthumous story that I thought was great. It was just the, her tone is so biting and well-observed and funny. I always like the short stories in New Yorker. Yeah, they do a good job. All right, well, we will leave it there. Uh, Stay safe out there. Keep your masks on. And keep reading Arkansas Times. Yeah, and check the Arkansas Times website this weekend. There's there's, There's a blockbuster of a story coming. Yeah. All right, take care. See ya.